0: Let's read a passage from the book of Mark in uh, chapter 6. We'll be reading verses 30 through 34. And it reads, And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus, and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, Come yourselves, into a desert place and rest a while for there was many comings and goings and they had no leisure time so much as to eat and they departed into a desert place by boat and the people saw them departing and many knew him and ran ahead out of the cities and they outran them and came together unto him And Jesus, when he had come out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them, because they were as sheep, not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Good morning.
1: We really appreciate the uh, invitation of the Yorba Linda congregation to come over. Uh, Some of us will be going over there for lunch. If you'd like to come over for part of the afternoon, uh, maybe you have other plans for lunch, they're having a singing from 1.30 to 2.30. So if you just want to come for that, if you want to come for any part of the day, please feel free to, uh, to join. All of us will be going over. They're looking forward to having a few of us over for, uh, for a day of fellowship. You know, it happens at least oh, once or twice a week. I'll pick up the phone here in the office, and one of you will say to me, are you busy? And I never really know how to answer that question. Because I feel like if I say no, you're going to say, well, what in the world are you doing just sitting down there all day? And if I say yes, it sounds like, yeah, and I don't have the time for the likes of you. I never really know what to say when someone asks me if I'm busy. Aren't we all busy? I mean, like everybody I know is busy. There's always more to do than we have the time to do. Uh, We make a to-do list. Uh, We make a calendar, whatever you use. Some of us use a variety of means. But how many of us actually typically get everything done in a day that we want to get done? Probably not all that often for a lot of us. And I think one one of the reasons that that's true is because we face a lot of interruptions. There are interruptions in our life. There are unexpected developments that come. There are... Uh, unforeseen complications. The other day it happened to me. I got in my car. I was ready to go. I had a full day planned and I turned the key and there was nothing. No sound, no beep, no light. There was nothing. My day had a rather major interruption. It had a pretty uh, strong... Uh, impact on my plans but you know how it is you have an interruption you get sit down to work on your computer and it crashes or you finally get to that task and there's a knock on the door that you weren't expecting and you open the door and someone comes in for an hour an hour and a half and you find that your life is interrupted or it could be a clogged drain when you're getting ready to have company over for dinner which happened to us a few years ago it's not very pleasant believe you me Uh, uh And there's just not just the extra things that we'd like to get done that don't get get done, but some of the things that we're really responsible for. But how many things do you have left undone that you wish you had time to do? You've been meaning to write a letter to someone. You've been meaning to finish the book. You've been meaning to do that project around the house. You've got all those videos and photos on your computer that you still haven't organized and done anything with. And all of those things, along with perhaps the work we're responsible to do, uh, gets left undone because we have interruptions. And I think there's a complicating factor that we face, especially in our culture, and that is that so often a person is valued by how much they can accomplish. Success is how many tasks have you completed. It's all about production. And so we tend culturally to pack more into a day perhaps than is sometimes even possible to complete. And, and that has an adverse effect on our life of ministry and service in the kingdom because I think it leads to a couple of possible errors that we make. One is that we say yes to things when perhaps we should say no. Sometimes we say yes to so much. We overcommit. We commit to so many things that there is no possible way in the world we can ever get them done. And that will lead to stress and probably to disappointment in us and other people who are counting on it. Uh, and on top of that, when we so pack our day so full that we know there's really just not any room left, what if God has something planned for us that we don't have on our schedule? Typically, that will come to us by way of an interruption, by way of something happening in our day that we weren't planning for. And sometimes we say yes so much to so many things, and our life is so packed and so full that God just doesn't have even an opening. We just don't even see it. We don't have time for that moment, and we miss it. The other thing is that we can say no when we ought to be saying yes. I've suffered from both of these extremes to be so guarded of my time. Well, that's my time. Well, you know, nobody's going to take that time for me, that time set aside. And to have such this possessive view of my time and my schedule that where God may be trying to put something in my life that he wants me to do, I'll see it as an an unwelcome interruption and not take advantage of the very thing that God wants me to do. Either way, we lose an opportunity to be faithful as servants and to do what God is putting before us. So, how do we determine when something is an interruption that should really just kind of be pushed to the side, and when something is an opportunity from God that we ought to follow through on and totally embrace? This morning we... Look at a few events in the life of our Lord Jesus that I think may help. Is there anybody who ever lived on the earth who had more to do than Jesus? Uh, think about it i mean he 's coming here to bring the kingdom of God to bring the gospel the good news of the, the fulfillment of all prophecy. Everything in his life every day is a part of god 's plan. Think of Think of his days. Think of how his days were packed from sometimes from sunrise to sunset and getting up in the middle of the night to pray. Think of how many people had expectations of Jesus. They needed him. They wanted him. All the people who were sick. All the people who wanted to touch. All of the people who wanted to be fed. Everyone had something they wanted Jesus to do. And you think about the demands on Jesus and along with just what He is here to do and accomplish on the earth. And yet, can you ever find in Scripture where Jesus expresses frustration about not having enough time? Do you ever find Jesus saying, you know, I really don't have time for you right now. I've got a lot of things going on in my life. You just wouldn't believe the schedule I've got this week. Think about all of the accounts in the life of Jesus. Do you ever see Him frantic? Or in a hurry. And boy, this is so convicting to me. Running from one appointment to the next. Because there's just not enough time. I think our minds are blank uh, and empty of such images. We just don't see Jesus doing that. Uh, It's not a part of, of the way he lived. And Jesus, obviously, accomplished a great deal. But there's a sense in which we might say, couldn't he have done more? Did Jesus heal everybody who was sick on the face of the earth? Did Jesus meet every person? Did Jesus go to every place? He, he didn't, of course. And yet, he's faithful to the tasks that the Father has given to him, and he completes those tasks. And he goes about it in such a calm, relaxed, confident way, without the least bit of stress or hurry. And I think and I think we know this about Jesus the reason that he did this and could do this because at the heart of this he had such a sense of his mission and his identity. Jesus knows who he is and he knows what he's here to do and he knows what's vital to that mission and to that purpose and he knows what's peripheral to that vision and to that purpose and he has the ability and the wisdom to make the to, to, to differentiate between those two things, and so Jesus, on many occasions, will say yes when an interruption comes into his life, because he will see it as an opportunity to serve God. And there are times when Jesus will say to people no, because it does not fulfill that purpose or that mission. So he accomplishes what God wants him to accomplish. And he trusts his schedule to God. One of the places we see this is just in one of those typical days in the life of Jesus that's recorded in Mark chapter 1. Where Jesus is at Capernaum, it starts out, this is the Sabbath day. He's in the synagogue. There's worship, there's teaching. Jesus, no doubt, is teaching. A man with a, an unclean spirit uh, is there in the synagogue. Jesus heals him. And so there, there's this very full time uh, with the people of the community uh, in the synagogue. And then in verse 29, it says, And immediately he left the synagogue and entered into the house of Simon and Andrew, And He healed many who were sick with various diseases. In this scene, we have Jesus spitting in the morning at the synagogue, going to Peter's house for Sabbath meal, and then, of course, finding out that his mother-in-law is ill, healing her, and then by sundown, Sabbath is over, everybody's coming to the house, and Jesus says yes. Jesus says yes, and He heals them, and He's with them. Then in verse 35, It says, rising early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Jesus often does this, as we know. These creative scheduling times for Jesus, because so often there are such great demands on his time. The one thing he will not forsake is time with the Father. Such an important lesson. This is a whole other lesson, but the, the fact that Jesus always makes certain there's time with the Father. That's where the direction comes from. That's the the intimacy that he seeks. That's the, the fellowship that he desires that fuels him on and keeps him focused on his ministry. And so he's out there praying. Peter gets up that morning. Jesus isn't in the house. Nobody knows where Jesus is. So Peter gets up a little group of guys and they go out and they try to find Jesus. And they do. And in verse 37, we read that when they found Him, they said to Him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Do you notice what Jesus says now? Jesus says no. They come and they say, Look, you think last night was something. Everybody is looking for you. There is so much left to do in Capernaum. You need to come back. They're, they're, and Jesus is able to completely, and to a certain extent, put aside those expectations that everyone else has of him. And he tells us why. He tells us why he's answering the question no. And that is because he has come to go to other places, to go throughout the land, to preach the message of the gospel and the kingdom, and so Jesus recognizes that he was not sent to the earth to set up shop in Capernaum and make sure that every little problem in that in that city got taken care of. He was here to bring the gospel to Israel and to proclaim the coming of the kingdom of God, and so he won't be diverted, and he doesn't say yes. He says no, and he goes on a different way. And you see him saying in this in this account both yes and no. Yes. When it fulfills the purpose that he has, and no when it's a diversion from that. There's another day in the life of Jesus in Matthew or excuse me in Mark chapter five. Now, a really well known story. Uh, let me just start reading there at verse twenty one. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. At the outset of this story, Jesus arrives and there's a crowd. There are people that are there for him to teach. And yet this one man, of course, gains his attention. And when Jairus asks for Jesus to go, he says yes. And he goes. And then famously, as you all know, there is a woman along the road. A woman who has had a hemorrhage for twelve years. She's gone to every doctor she can find. She's spent all of her money to try to find healing. And she's heard about Jesus and what He's accomplished. And she believes if she can just get close to Him, in fact, if she can just touch the edge of His garment, she believes that she will be healed. And in Matthew chapter, or Mark chapter 5, she does that very thing. As Jesus passes by, on his way to Jairus' house, with this crowd pressing in all around him, the woman reaches out and touches Jesus. And we read in verse 30, And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And the disciples said to him, Jesus says yes to this woman. He responds to her need with compassion. And He takes time for her. He doesn't say, look, I'm, I'm in the middle of something. This is a life and death situation. He stops and He gives His attention to her, not in a hurry. Everyone else in the scene's in a hurry. Lord, what are you, why are you stopping? Everybody's touching. You're in the middle of a crowd. Why, we need to get moving. And Jesus stops. And Jesus gives this woman the important opportunity to confess her faith in Him and to do so publicly, to acknowledge her faith in Jesus, to acknowledge Jesus as her healer, and then for Jesus to be able to give her a blessing. And Jesus trusts the Father that He will preserve that other opportunity to minister that He's on His way to do at that very moment. And of course we know what happens The worst possible news arrives in verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He's confident that God will provide. If God wills, there will be an opportunity to help that family. And of course, we won't continue reading. But you know what happens when Jesus goes to Jairus' home. He raises that girl from, from the dead. And we see him saying yes, and we see him saying no. And now not all interruptions deserve the kind of positive response that we see in the text. There are some, on, some interruptions in our life that actually interrupt ministry, that interrupt service. How many times have you been doing something, or maybe even in a Bible study, and at a very critical point in the Bible study and the phone rings or someone walks in or there's something that happens that interrupts that. That's not the kind of thing that we're talking about. There are times to say no. There are times to, uh, to push things to the side. But other interruptions are truly divine opportunities to serve and to minister. And they come in such a variety of ways, in such simple ways. It can be after an assembly and we're talking to one another. And either you see someone across the room or you're, you walk up to speak to someone and you just sense there's something happening, there's something happening in their life and you begin to talk and you ask And in such moments we share with each other. We open up about what's happening in our lives. And we support each other and we encourage each other. We minister to one another. We may even take a moment to step aside to find a little moment of privacy and to pray together about whatever that situation is. That was not something we had planned to do when we came here today. But God brings it as an opportunity that's unexpected and an opportunity for us to, to bless someone else. And when you stop and think about it, think about this for just a minute. I think most opportunities, most opportunities to serve and bless other people, and to serve other people, come to us as unplanned moments. Not as something we plan, but as something that God just brings to us in the moment. And then it's up to us whether or not we even see it. Or if we're ready to respond to it. You're in the restaurant... Big group of people around the table. Somebody's in the middle of a story. Everybody's just having a great time. This great conversation is going on. It's like you're right in the middle of something and the waitress walks up. It's like the worst time. It's like, you no, know, come five, you know, it's like five minutes from now would be perfect. We're not ready to order. We're having this. We're right in the moment of this. Everybody's just all tied together in the story and the waitress or the waiter walks up. It seems like an interruption. And it may be the opportunity to ask the waitress about her day. What's going on in your life today? We've talked about this on many occasions as a as a way to reach out to people. Is there something that we can that we can pray? We're ready to pray for our food. Can we pray for, for something for you? Ellen and I were at a restaurant the other day, and we it was a new a new waitress to us, and we you never know the kind of reaction. And we ask, and and this woman, she just like got tears in her eyes, and she said, "I can't believe you're asking me this." And she asked us to pray for her daughter-in-law who had just conceived and had, uh, they had been problems with the previous pregnancy. And she wants us to pray for her in a safe delivery for that baby. And about, about a month later, we saw the same waitress and, and talked to her about her family. It's these interruptions that come our way are opportunities so often to reach out to other people. You finally get to the yard work. I don't know if that happens to you, but this is what happens to me. It's like yard work piles up around our house and I finally get it. You know, you get to that moment where you finally have a day. You get outside and then your neighbor pulls up across the street. A neighbor who's just lost a loved one or a neighbor who's going through a difficult moment in their life or is battling an illness. And you know it's time to take the gloves off and put the tools down and walk across and spend some time with your neighbor and support them and love them share the love of Christ with them. It's an interruption in a sense, but it's an opportunity to serve. A few weeks ago, some of you know that um, we got a call from a friend in Petaluma at the church up there about our friend Wilma Horton who had just entered hospice care And they were encouraging us to come. And one of the family members had called this person and asked them to call us because we've known Wilma since the 70s. And uh, there are not a lot of us left that were around in the 70s back at the church in Petaluma. And so uh, there were a couple of days. It was happening on this call came on the weekend where I, I just really could not move away from a lot of responsibilities i have it was so you know we'll do our best we we left the first day that we could we and we've told many of you about the story that have prayed for wilma we went up and one of the reasons we wanted to go was not just to see wilma and be with her but her kids her two sons that we've known since they were little boys have really left the lord and we we just we wanted to have an opportunity to remind them of what the church is all about and what the love of christ is all about and to kind of witness to them and remind them and we spent a day with the kids and with wilma who was uh, asleep virtually all of the time nearly that we were there Visited with her the next morning drove home an hour after we got home got the notice that Wilma had passed away just an opportunity and now I'm not telling you that story because, well, look what a good boy I am. Look look at what a sterling example I am. I'm telling you that story because in that same place, in that same town, years ago, on a Sunday morning, a brother at church came up to me and said, hey, I've got a friend in this nursing home. I'm not really sure where they are spiritually. Would you mind going and seeing them? They're they're okay. They're they're kind of you know they're kind of ill. So it'd be good if you could get over there pretty quick. I said sure. I'd be glad to go see them. But the next day was my day off, and you know preachers on our days off. I mean. uh. It was my day off and I thought, you know what, I'll go Tuesday morning because I really want my day off. And I made that decision and Tuesday morning came and something popped up and I wasn't able to get over there. Something kind of just grabbed a hold of the day. Something else grabbed a hold of the day and by, it was Wednesday afternoon by the time I got to that, that nursing home. I went in, I went up to the desk and I asked for the room number of this person and they said, are you family? And I said no, and I explained who I was. And they said, oh, she passed away last night. Now, I know I can't be everywhere and do everything and cover every base. I understand that. But God gave me an opportunity that day. And as I look back on that, from that very moment, there was a conviction in me that God had given me an opportunity and I had been so guarded with my time that I couldn't imagine giving an hour of it away to someone else. It's been over 40 years. 40 years ago that that happened to me. I don't know what would have happened. I don't know how that conversation would have gone. I really don't know. But I do know that was a day that I missed an opportunity from God to serve someone else. And uh, I think we just all so often get busy and become sort of guarded. The last Bible study I had with with a person who was in the church came about about six, probably two, three months ago. Literally a knock on the door. Our brother Andre Salas. Literally a knock on the door, All sitting in my office working. Interruption, opportunity from God. What do you think? Oh, just a second. Oh, cool. Um, my cousin Terry just did a like on my Facebook page. Uh, I put, maybe you saw the picture of my family Thanksgiving. And uh, we wanted my cousin Terry back in Indiana to see it because we haven't seen him for a long time. Oh, man. Oh, well, there oh, 93 likes on that. I tell you. Uh, can I say a word or two about devices for just a minute? You talk about interruptions. Every time I open up my computer, if I open up Facebook, it says, you want to turn on your notifications now? No, <laughs> I don't want notifications. <laughs> we are notified to the point that every time there is a tweet or a text or an email or a like or whatever it is on a bunch of the social medias that I don't have any idea about, it's like we stop whatever we're doing and we take a look at this. Now, devices and social media can be and are a very effective tool for blessing people and speaking with people and keeping in contact with people. But they are probably, in our modern life, the number one interruption to relationships and perhaps even at times to meaningful service in the kingdom. Um, it's, it just stops everything. Uh, and there's, I think there's a whole other sermon down the road on this. Uh, right now, let's just leave it in the world of interruptions and being interrupted and how we get interrupted in conversations with people because of the buzzings and the ringings and whatever it happens to do. Can you imagine Jesus on the way to Jairus's house saying... Oh guys you you, you got to stop and see this. You know Andrew took a picture of that lady touching the garment and all and, and posted it and you wouldn't believe. I mean that it, it you know like the twitter you know the, I can't I don't even know the vocabulary but it's like everybody's liking it on my Facebook page. You ought to see that. Or, can you imagine Jesus and he's walking through and he feels this power coming out but at the same time his, his cell phone rings and so he picks it up and and he, I mean it's just amazing how we can become so controlled by something, to the point that it actually affects our interpersonal relationships. And uh, like the family of five at the restaurant, and they're all sitting there looking down on their screens. That is that is another sermon for another time. but um, But they do tend to interrupt us and interrupt moments, perhaps, when we could be serving. I'll just leave it at that. Apply it as you need it, and maybe we'll come back to that subject later. By the way, my cousin Terry didn't really just like that, in case you thought I was actually... Uh, but he did like it. Okay, but he just didn't like it right then. Last text. Or at least from the life of Jesus here, Mark chapter 6. This is an interesting one to me, and Eldon read it a moment ago. But I, I, it's kind of fascinating to me what happens in this in this text, because it says, uh, Mark chapter six verse thirty, the apostles returned to Jesus, and told him all that they had done and taught, and he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while, for many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. So what's happened? The apostles have come back from their teaching trip. They're all getting together, but there's people all around. We gotta get out of this. There's just crowds everywhere. Everybody's coming up. We gotta get away. And so what do they do? And it's just, it's a, it's, it's really funny to me. They went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So it's like the same, the same people, only it looks to me like it's even a bigger group now. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. What I really find fascinating about this account is the flexibility that Jesus has on this day. At the, at the start of it, it's like we've got to get away. It's time We need a quiet place. We need to get away from here. We've got to get away from these people. We've got things to do. We've got... You know, smaller group discipleship stuff to do. And so they take off on the boat. Everybody goes ahead, gets ahead of them, and they're standing there when they get off the boat. And Jesus says, What? Sorry, guys, I'm headed up the mountain. No. He has compassion on them because they're like sheep without a shepherd. I mean, they run all across the top of the sea to get back to him. And he teaches them. And before the day's over, the apostles will be collecting the baskets of fish and bread from feeding the 5,000. Opportunity. The faith, the persistence of these people show Jesus that this isn't just a diversion, this is the main thing. Now, after it, Jesus goes up on the mountain to pray. He doesn't forget that, but he opens up his schedule. And when you look at the life of christ in the in the Gospels, Jesus just seems to take charge of events as they come, whether they 're expected or unexpected. He evaluates it. If this is an interruption that, can, that that furthers his purpose and his mission, he says yes to it and he enters into it wholeheartedly if it 's not, he has no problem saying no. He can do both equally well, and he concentrates fully on each one in turn not so worried about what's coming next that he doesn't give attention to that which is immediately at hand and he does know how to say no Jesus if he had one would have known how to turn off his phone or how to even just maybe leave it at home Jesus knew how to how to to get away Jesus knew how to tell people who had improper expectations of him that he simply wasn't going to do what they wanted him to do. And he could dismiss that. But he also knew how to adjust his schedule and to see these things that were happening to him as God's plan and schedule for what he needed to do. Now, this may not solve all of our time management issues today, but I hope just thinking about Jesus and how he how he looks at things, how he sees things, that it will help us in making the determinations that we need to make as we face these kinds of things every day. Let me finish up with some passages. Just. Four quick verses. Would you read these with me from Psalm 118? Read it together. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. God created this day. He's in charge. This is His day. Let's be glad in it. Come what may, whatever opportunity. Let's read this together from Psalm 31. But I trust in You, O Lord. I say, You are my God. My times are in Your hand. God, You're in charge. You're the God. Here I am. You just... Point me. Show me what you want me to do. And let's read this together. Colossians 4, 5. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. This is particularly about those outside and and making the most of every opportunity of outreach. But it says something about being alert and being ready for such moments. And finally, from Jesus, Matthew 6. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Wow, I need that one, especially when it comes to time. If Jesus is the Lord of your life, He's Lord of your time. So trust Him with your time. Trust Him with your schedule. And to look at your interruptions as, as, as sometimes the only way God can get something on your schedule that you have no idea that He wants you to do. And that He places there in front of you. And pray for the discernment to know. The distraction from the opportunity. And recognize that in those moments that God has given you an opportunity, there is someone that you may bless, that you may serve, that you may share Christ with, that you may not have been able to foresee. I talked about starting the car, trying to, and it didn't. A friend here at church had an experience where they had a problem with their car, stopped them from doing what they were going to do, went to the place to get their car fixed, and had an opportunity to witness of Christ to a fellow customer. So sometimes when our car breaks down, maybe even that's an opportunity from God, if we're open to it. And isn't that really what it's all about? Being open to it. Rather than being frustrated at times, look. Look. What's God doing? Is God moving here? Is God bringing something in front of me that I need to take care of and then having the determination and the faith to do it? We can relax. Um, God's work will get done. My to-do list may not get done, and that's of some degree of importance. But if God's list gets done, that's what really counts. I just want to encourage all of us today to be open to God's timing, to look at your life, to see the things that come. And wouldn't it be amazing never to hurry again, never to be frantic again, but to truly trust our life and our times into the hands of God and know that God will open the doors to serve and give us the wisdom to make those right decisions. If today your life is not in God's hand because you have not yet come to Him through Christ the Lord, if you've not confessed Christ Jesus is the Christ and is the Son of God. You have an opportunity today to truly have your life placed in the hands of God as you come to Him in faith and repentance and baptism and become a part of the family of God. May all of us today as we experience our week ahead of us be looking for the moments that God gives us to serve. And if there are any here today who need to respond to the Lord, we invite you. Let's stand together as we sing.